Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Ryan Eras. Well, welcome back, everyone, once again to the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. I'm Ryan Eras. And we're back with another slightly aberrant uh, episode this week. Joe and Nate are back in town. They are still quarantining. And we had planned to talk about the broadcasting bill in Canada here, Bill C-10. But we had some technical difficulties with the three-way distance recording this week. So in this week's episode, I want to share with you part of a lecture that Joe recently delivered on the subject of medicine and healing and how a Christian vision of work, of culture, and the kingdom of God has a direct impact on our view of medicine. I hope you enjoy it. We expect to be back with you next week for more of our regularly scheduled programming. So according to scripture, human beings were made to worship and serve, to tend and keep God's good creation. We see that in Genesis 1, 28 and 2, 15. To work then is actually an integral part of what it means to be human. Work is not optional. It's a creational norm established by God himself and modeled in the work days of the creation week itself in Exodus 20, 9 through 11, as well as Genesis 1. Work then itself is not a curse, but a blessing. And to avoid work or be denied it is dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing. In fact, Paul regards work as so basic to a person's life that he writes, if a man does not work, he shouldn't eat. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10. Now, because of God's curse falling on man and thereby all creation due to sin, work does participate in the frustration and sense of futility to which creation has been subjected. Paul talks about that in Romans 8. Work now comes with the sweat of our brow. Uh, We all know that when we work long hours and are dealing with difficult things and viewers, doctors dealing with difficult patients, difficult situations. The resistance of creation then to our work makes it labor, laborious. It's labor, it's laborious. But that's not made work itself a curse. The reconciling work of Christ has given us a ministry of reconciliation so that we might work the works of God, John 6, 28. So that's kind of the backdrop. That's the biblical backdrop to what I want to say about work. And of course, in a general sense, this applies to all work, and I want to uh, have you apply it specifically to your work in the field of medicine and and, uh, make those connections. The first thing to consider as we think about our work then, and granted that this is a very difficult time to be in the medical profession in Canada, the, th- the way in which we think about work uh, is influenced by our culture, and it's, uh, influenced, it influences very much how we view our tasks. 
There are actually five primary views of work in our current secular culture. And uh, as I highlight these uh, five primary views of work, I want you to notice the idols involved in these conceptions of our work. First of all, uh, the first one is that work is a necessary evil. It would be better if we didn't have to work and life were a kind of permanent leisure and retirement. The earlier you can take retirement, the better. We need to be pragmatic, of course, people say. To enjoy maximum uh, leisure, we need to work. So really the, 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 the goal of life is leisure and work is simply a means to that end. There, of course, leisure is idolized. Second dominant idea of work is that man can recreate himself through work and usher in a workless utopia. Now, this rests on a radical Marxist view of the world. The workers must unite, throw off the existing order of wage labor, and recreate society in such a way that eventually everybody owns everything anyway. That's collectivism. And life can turn to a work-free world of pleasure and um, entertainment. Here, the workers are actually idolized along with the ideology of a workless world. So again, here, man is, work is purely instrumental. He is recreating himself through his work to bring about a utopian condition, which eventually doesn't require work at all. The third uh, dominant view in our culture today is that work success is the key to success in all of life. Work success is the key to success in all of life. The idea here is that if you can just succeed at your job, if you can just be the best dentist or the best doctor possible, this is in the, the this, if you will, the cultural, historical aspect of our lives. If you give yourself entirely to that, and, and devote all of your time and energy to it, then all the rest of your life will be successful, your relationships, your finances, your family, and so on. So here you actually have work itself becoming the idol. Fourthly, uh, a dominant view is that work brings wealth and its central purpose is money. Now, of course, like all of these uh, uh, idols, there is a partial truth involved. Uh, it's true, for example, that um, working hard gives the opportunity for leisure. It's true that as man works, he, he, is, a, he, he is engaged in cultural formation. He just does change the world. And it's true that uh, work success is one aspect of success in our lives. And in, as is the case here, it's true, is a partial truth that work brings greater prosperity but this gets exaggerated into an error. Wealth and money are not the sole purpose of work biblically. Work serves God's purposes, serves the well-being of others, allows us to provide for our family, brings reward and fulfillment as we do it, and makes for an occupied mind with emotional and psychological health. When money becomes the central focus, of course, money is idolized. And then finally, fifthly, the goal of work for some is self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment, and obviously here, the self is idolized. 
although work can be and should be fulfilling and rewarding to, to a certain extent, its goal is not self-centered scripturally, but God-centered when we have a Christian view. We serve Christ as servants of the king and his kingdom. And this does bring deep fulfillment because we are serving Christ and his kingdom people and purposes. Without that bigger, broader perspective of serving Christ and his kingdom, any kind of work can become uh, deeply frustrating and carry with it a sense of futility. So those are some of the dominant secular perspectives on work, but there are also some quasi-Christian perspectives on our work, which aren't quite right. They kind of synthesize a Christian and uh, certain non-Christian views. Within the broadly Christian tradition, there's been a variety of perspectives on work. Some have sought to accommodate the prevailing cultural ideas of their time to the scriptural perspective. So there has been, as an example, a dominant pietistic view of creation and culture that views the world of work as really just a secondary area of life. It's inferior to the cultivation of one's private, personal piety. Prayer and personal devotions would be seen here as much more important than work. Dominant themes would include the following. First, you cannot serve both God and mammon, Matthew 6, 24. Well, this is, of course, true. Jesus did say that. But Jesus is not teaching here the relative unimportance of work, but only that money must not become an idol in our lives, an end in itself to the point that we actually serve it. Our work must actually serve God. Second, some say, well, focus on what is eternal. Doesn't the Bible say that? 2 Corinthians 4.18. Haven't got time to do a proper exegesis of that passage, but that is evidently not uh, Paul is not saying there that our focus shouldn't be on creation and our work for God in it, but be meditating on uh, spiritual and eternal verities. The false implication drawn from this important text about pursuing the kingdom of God, which is what it's actually about, is that the creation not being eternal, uh, therefore to prioritize work is a wrong focus. So for a doctor or a dentist to have a, have, a, have a real focus on serving the Lord in their work is not as important as volunteering at church or doing some other um, uh, spiritual discipline. A third um, quasi-Christian view with elements of truth but carrying them too far like the others is that work is to be endured as part of the fall. And the false assumption here is that work itself was part of the curse or entered with sin. So we must endure and finally overcome work in heaven. It's true, of course, that our work in the kingdom will be different, somewhat different to what it is now, won't have the sense of futility that accompanies some of our earthly work. But if we, as we have already noted, work was not part of the fall. It is a creational norm, and God's work in creation himself, God as the first worker, is our pattern. So Adam and Eve were set in God's garden as kingly priests to, to tend, to serve, to, to keep, and so on, to cultivate prior to the fall. Another tradition uh, dominant in the church stemming from the Middle Ages 
uh, and what theologians call scholasticism involves positing a very deep divide between the sacred and the secular. And this tends to call forth a series of dualisms, that is a hierarchy that tends to affect Christians' perception of work in an unscriptural way. The first uh, um, uh, dualism is the eternal temporal hierarchy. And this view basically says, well, future eternal life is much more important than work now in creation. So uh, you see a depreciation there of creation itself. And there is a view of an ethereal eternal future much more important than work in creation. Second, you have the body-soul hierarchy or dualism. Here the idea is that the invisible life of the soul and its spiritual relationship to God is much more important than the body and the work we do in it. Well, in our last session, I tried to show that actually the human person is an integrated whole and that is a false duality. There is an inner man and an outer man according to scripture, but we cannot easily divide those in some superficial way. And um, uh, any uh, state in which we are not in the body is a radically broken one. So there is the soul-body hierarchy. Then there is the clergy-laity hierarchy, another dualism. That is, the life and work of the church and its ministers is more important than the work of ordinary people like doctors and dentists. It'd be much more important if you were called into full-time ministry to be a pastor than to be a dentist or a doctor. If you really want to serve God full-time, you should perhaps even think about being a monk or a nun in some traditions or a presbyter or a pastor or a priest. And then there is the church and state, faith and science, Christianity and culture hierarchy. This is where an artificial line is drawn between Christ's lordship and kingdom and human culture. Christ's lordship and kingdom is somewhere up here in a spiritual realm and perhaps found in the church institute, but nowhere else. And therefore, the church is more important than working in the hospital or in the doctor's surgery or in the state. And theology is more important in a higher realm than all the other sciences. And Christianity overall is made to stand in contrast with human culture as a faith concerning the priority of another world and a future time. Now, all of these false perceptions have a way of influencing our view of work and degrading the importance of creation, of the body, of Christ's redemptive work in creation and depreciating the importance of the goodness and centrality of our work as service to God, service to God's creation for the reconciliation of all cultural life. This false dualism can, can lead, among other notions, to what we can call the tent maker model of work that's dominate, dominant in some Christian circles. And the tent maker model of your work looks something like this. One, Evangelism is your primary task. Now, although evangelism is one of our tasks, this is a misuse of the Great Commission, which mandates actually bringing the nations into obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to whom all authority belongs in heaven and in earth, and actually teaching and discipling nations in terms of everything that God has said. So that would encompass all, all of life. So there would be there a medical discipleship a political discipleship, and so on. 
not just a spiritual discipleship. So evangelism is important, it's, a, it's one of our tasks, but it's not the task. Second, Paul uses the tent-making model to advance the gospel, some say. Well, yes, Paul did make tents, 1 Corinthians 9, but actually not as a tool for evangelism. Uh, there's no evidence that Paul was there saying, well, uh, there's lots of non-believers in the, uh, the tent-making guild of um, Palestine, so I'm going to uh, join it so I can evangelize. No, he made tents in order to make a living to carry that, so that he was enabled to carry out his calling as an apostle without being a financial burden on anyone. Now, I don't have any doubt at all that while Paul was making his tents and selling his tents, he was interacting with people and that he was sharing the gospel. But uh, that doesn't mean that uh, the, 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 the sole purpose of our work is this tent maker example that our work is purely a means to another end that's spiritual that involves uh, the church or getting people into heaven. Third, the workplace is our mission field. These are all uh, closely related in this, in this tent maker model. And again, here we have a truth, but a half truth. Our vocation is that by which we serve and glorify God by doing everything with excellence oriented to the glory of God and in light of his word. Now, part of that will be to use opportunities to share the good news with our fellow workers. But the workplace for a doctor or a dentist or for a lawyer or for a butcher, a baker or a candlestick maker is not simply a, a mission field for evangelism. It's where we serve to glorify God with excellence and to the glory of God. Every Christian's primary calling is a uh, the fourth. Every Christian's primary calling is to be an evangelist. This is implied in all of the above, of course, all of the three things I've just mentioned, and it's clearly false. Whilst we are called to share the hope that we have and to give an answer to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that we have, most people are not called to be evangelists, though we are all witnesses. Thankfully, most people aren't called to be evangelists because most people would do a pretty bad job of it. But we are witnesses. We are called to be witnesses in and taking those opportunities that God gives us. Our first calling, though, is to worship and serve God in all things as his ministers of reconciliation. And as part of that, we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the, the verbal sharing of the basic contours of the redemption and the death, uh, the resurrection, ascension, session of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an element of uh, what will take place in our working life, but it isn't the sole end. In fact, scripture is clear that all of creation belongs to God and is oriented toward him and is related back to him. So we must never reduce our work to a mere means to a different end. In other words, something that's not really that important to God, but it gives me an opportunity to do something that's really important, which is tell people about Jesus. Telling people about Jesus is important, but the most important thing is the service of God and his kingdom and the reconciliation of all things to God in Christ. So the scriptural perspective then is richer and deeper than some of these rather superficial views of work. Now we noted to begin with that the basis of all human work is that God himself is 
a worker and we are his image bearers. So, scripture makes plain God is a worker. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Psalm 111 verse 2. And that's kind of my work, studying the works of the Lord and delighting in them. Uh, Genesis 2, 1 through 3, by the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done. John 5, 17, my father is working and I am working also. John 4, 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So God is working. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are working. Second, human beings are workers and co-workers with God as his image bearers. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Fill the earth and subdue it. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Ephesians 3.9, for we are God's co-workers. I love that one. Filling and subduing the earth means cultivating culture by building human civilization, caring for the creation, and bringing out all the potentiality God has placed in creation in terms of his laws and norms. This is the cultural, historical, or formative aspect of our life in creation. All our work is inescapably culture-making. To be human is to be subject to God's norms for cultural formation, and inescapably, this is going to be done faithfully or in apostasy. So, first, God is a worker. Second, human beings are workers and co-workers with God. Third, in the scriptural perspective, work is God's good gift. And this is really important not to overlook. Think for a moment with the great Hebrew philosopher, King Solomon, about the goodness of God to us in work. This is what he says. Here is what I have seen to be good. It is appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given to him, because that is his reward. God has also given riches and wealth to every man, and he has allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward, and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God, for he does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. That's Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. So work is not a crushing a burden or a curse. It's a gift. It's a good gift. Uh, next, uh, fourthly, the script, in the scriptural perspective, sin made all forms of work hard and frustrating. Sin did make all forms of work hard and frustrating. Creation now resists us, and that's what makes it hard. 
And it's not just manual work that it's hard. Right? You know, academic work is a labor. Every kind of work is a labor. Listen to Genesis 3, 17 through 19. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it. For you are dust, and you will return to dust. This means that at times our work involves hardship and suffering. And I think this is really important for us in this cultural moment as Christians to really consider. Creation now resists our efforts to bring it into subjection, meaning a sense of futility, frustration, and sorrow can stalk our steps as we labor for the kingdom. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe that's you as a doctor or a dentist especially in these particularly difficult times. It also means that sickness and suffering are in the world. And that's one of the wonderful things about being called into the medical profession, that God is raising you up and using you to address that issue in creation. The majority of the struggle we face, actually, the suffering we endure, concerns this directional antithesis basic to human cultural labor that I talked about in the last lecture, structure and direction. As Christians conform to Christ, seeking the reconciliation of all things to God, we live out our work in terms of a radical principle of new creation. This is life-giving when we live out of that principle. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creature. The unbeliever, though, whilst doing many normative things by virtue of God's goodness and creation grace, will frequently work against the reconciling work of Christ. And rather than leading to life, that leads to death. The current losing struggle we're in at the moment, a temporarily losing struggle against abortion, euthanasia, transgenderism, and for legal uh, conscience rights for, for doctors, expresses that directional antithesis, that struggle. It's exhausting, isn't it? It's wearying. It's frightening. Sometimes it's deeply saddening that we want to quit. We want to we throw in the towel. But despite this problem of sin that makes work hard and frustrating, we must endure. We must press on. And I don't want to encourage you as doctors and dentists, don't give up. Press on. Press on. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 10 through 13, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ, of Christ Jesus. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In Romans 8 to 25, 18 through 25, Paul actually links together these two aspects, the curse, uh, the sense of futility, and the new creation. 
and the redemption of creation when he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. And not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, yet hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. And friends, cultural prophecy in which Christians are engaged, whether we're in law or medicine or politics or the church, whatever we may be doing, because we are constantly pointing to the kingdom of God and the reality of the new creation in our work, that's cultural prophecy. And in every field, this is a battle. And we cannot hide from it in medicine. We cannot hide from it in law. We cannot hide from it in the arts. We cannot hide from it in media. We cannot hide from it in politics. We cannot hide from it in the church. We are constantly pointing to the kingdom of God and the reality of the new creation in our work. I have stuck into my Bible a wonderful quote from Abraham Kuyper that I often turn to when I am feeling weary. That's why I put it in the cover page of my Bible. And this is what Abraham Kuyper said. Our Lord and King will never negotiate a truce with his enemy nor will he retreat from the battlefield. He maintains his forces against his opponents and never wavers. That's how it was when you and I were children. So it remains now that we are adults and it continues into our old age. When we die and depart, the battle will continue over our graves and there will be no end until he who will open all graves returns. So we're in the battle, we're in the struggle, and it means suffering, it means endurance, it means patience, it means uh, enduring hardship. And so whilst sin does make our work frustrating, even in the battle against our own sins, because the kingdom is always in view in our work, so the scriptural view of work is also that work is dignifying. It's dignifying in the human experience and reflects God's image. Listen to the scriptures. When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him Lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the sea. Work is so truly human, so truly dignifying that Jesus spent most of his career as a carpenter. 
before three years of a public itinerant ministry in which he manifested his identity as the anointed Messiah, son of man and son of God. And remember, much of that ministry was the ministry of healing, of healing the sick, of restoring people as a signpost to the coming kingdom of God. Scripturally also, we are commanded to work. Because of sin, we have a tendency to idleness, to avoid work, to procrastinate, to cut corners where possible, to do the minimal. The ancient Greek cultural elites believed that, for example, manual forms of work were below them. And in, even in Britain, after the so-called enlightenment, enlightenment, a gentleman was someone who either didn't work or didn't need to work. But as the redeemed in Christ, our attitude towards our work is to be transformed. Now, I know the challenge for doctors is often workaholism. Um, um, sometimes we can get even addicted to our work. That's a problem as well. But there are also ways in which we in, in, in the medical and dental profession can cut corners. How up to date are we on some of the reading? I know we can't be up to date on everything, but how up to date are we on some of the reading? How much time have we given to thinking through how do I approach this question, this problem, this issue from a truly Christian perspective? How should I think about the integrated nature of the human person as I'm dealing with this patient? Maybe I shouldn't just hand out those uh, antidepressant prescriptions this time. Maybe I shouldn't just give antibiotics this time. There's other things at work here. There's even ways in which in medicine we might be tempted to cut corners. But our attitude to work in Christ is redeemed and transformed. Listen to the scriptures. Now, I, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother who walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition received from us. For you yourselves know how you must imitate us. We were not irresponsible among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and struggled working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ that quietly working they may eat their own food, 2 Thessalonians 6, uh, 3, 6 through 12. And one of the reasons we're commanded to work is the duty we have, especially as parents, as husbands, and so on, as fathers, to provide for others. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, that is his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then in Ephesians 4.28, Paul says, the thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Notice how work is always directed towards not just ourselves, but the other, to God and to others. Work, uh, in the scriptural view, is also service. By virtue of creation, we're oriented to, to God and to participate in the cultural aspect of created reality. And from the heart, therefore, as Christians, we orient all of our work in our vocations, in family, in society, in all creation, to the service of Christ and his kingdom. And that's how we need to think 
about our medical profession. That's how we need to think about the work of medicine, of healing, that it is service to Christ and his kingdom. This is why Paul writes, whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, 23 through 24. You serve the Lord Christ in your medicine, in your dental surgery, at the hospital. You serve the Lord Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So in our engagement with work, we need to be faithful in the workplace as we wrap this up now. Uh, faithfulness is vital to be a faithful Christian in the workplace. Second, we need to be faithful Christians who apply a biblical view of reality in the workplace. We are not to violate our conscience, for God is looking for integrity. Obviously, not every kind of work that people might engage in is legitimate. So we have to first step in being faithful is making sure we're doing the kind of work that pleases God. And then we have to be faithful to a scriptural view of reality as we do it. Thirdly, to be Christian, to be a Christian who works and serves in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit needs to be our intention. And that means being a person of prayer. It means being alert to the moral and ethical challenges because we're sensitive to what the word of God says. Uh, I'm sure many of you do this, but uh, it should be our practice be be before somebody comes into the surgery to be praying for them. When we look at our list of patients, perhaps for a day, be sending up arrow prayers to the Lord that God would give us wisdom and understanding. Maybe there'll be opportunities as well to pray for patients who are open to it so that we bring this sense of the power of the Holy Spirit into our work and service of healing. Uh, I, I frequently talk to doctors who, who uh, are looking, always looking for those opportunities. So serving in the fullness and power of the Holy Spirit, because if we don't do that, if we're not seeking to have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our work, we will quickly become exhausted, tired, uh, disillusioned, and in times of persecution and challenge, even despairing. And then to be a Christian committed to the total transformation of the workplace as an outworking of our cultural calling, enduring hardships as good soldiers with patience so that we're not just uh, committed to working hard, but we want to uh, influence and shape the character of the workplace and form, reform our cultural work, in your case, in the area of medicine, in terms of the scriptural view that we talked about in the previous session. Finally, let me add something about the importance of rest. We often hear in our culture about the necessity of a work-life balance, as though either work is not really part of what makes life full and meaningful, but is a chore to be endured so that you can really enjoy life, as in leisure and pleasure, or it's a lesser part of our experience to be distinguished from life, a work-life balance. It says that life is not work. If you have a work-life balance, then you're saying that your work is not an integral part or central in your life, and that your life is about leisure or pleasure, whatever it may be. But that's not the biblical view. The scriptural principle is a work-rest balance. 
a work-rest balance. God gives us a Sabbath for rest and rejoicing that reminds us he is on the throne. He sustains all things. He governs all things. He rules all things in his righteousness. He sent his word and healed our disease. Taking rest one day in seven is a critical part of recognizing the way God has ordered and structured our work, our kingdom work. It reminds us that we can rejoice in life, that we can rest in the Lord, that we can trust in him, that we can place our lives in his hands. We are free to rest because God reigns. And not to rest is a denial, really, of God's reign, God's rule, as though we always have to be fixing everything for God. If we want to be truly blessed and productive in our work, we must also rest. Rest. God's law and norm for creation involves rest for the land, rest for animals, rest for his vicegerent man in the earth, man himself, rest for man. And a failure to observe God's creational order in these things is actually self-destructive. And in the end, it runs down people's health. It destroys health and well-being. It works against the ministry of healing. We're actually called to glorify God in work and in rest in every aspect of our lives. So let me conclude with a wonderful statement from Dorothy Sayers in summing up the Christian understanding of work. She said this, what is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God, end quote. So our cultural work as image bearers and as God's co-workers brings us into the very heart of the struggle for the direction of all cultural life and of our very civilization as individuals, as families, as nations. Will we serve the living God or idols? It's only in the power of the Holy Spirit, serving the reconciliation of all things to God in Christ, that we can find true meaning and fulfillment in our work. As Sayers says, spiritually, mentally, bodily, as the medium through which we offer ourselves to God. So in your medical and dental practices, think afresh about the way in which every day you are offering yourself to God and his kingdom service and ask that God would fill you with his spirit and give you a deep sense of joy, of peace, of rest, of satisfaction and the patience and endurance to face hardship and trust that in due time, in God's purposes, the great challenges that we're facing in the area of medicine today will be turned, will be changed in the providence of God and we will move into a season of restoration, healing, and wholeness in our culture. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time